Good morning. Welcome to Bethlehem Lutheran Church, where God has called and gathered us here this day to receive his gifts through his word and his sacrament. The Old Testament reading for the Epiphany of our Lord is from Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The idea of having a king is a bit weird to us Americans, isn't it? We sort of kind of get it in that we have a government and that a monarchy has at least some similar traits to every other kind of government. There's going to be taxes, there's going to be laws, there's going to be armies that need soldiers. The big difference, as far as we're concerned usually, is that in a monarchy, the regular people get little to no say in any of those things. Kings aren't usually chosen in an election, and they are the ones that usually set the taxes, create and judge the laws, and get the armies ready. A balance of powers like like we're used to pretty much just didn't exist for most monarchies. It was usually just whatever the king or emperor said was what happened. So for us who aren't really used to that kind of a government, it can be a bit tricky for us to get used to hearing to the Bible speak about God and Jesus as king. We're just not really sure or used to what that means. If anything, we are used to all of the ways that kings have a tendency to mess things up. But perhaps that's why a psalm like to our intro for today is so important. Because we need to recognize that our heavenly king, our Lord, is not like other human kings. Listen, therefore, to our intro for today and hear about the king. Behold, the Lord, the ruler, has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Behold, the Lord, the ruler, has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. So, according to our introit, our psalm for today, what is it that makes a good king? Well, really, there seems to be two primary things that happen first. A good king must be just and righteous. So what exactly does it mean, then, for a king to be just? Well, like I mentioned earlier, kings are responsible for establishing and judging the laws. And so a good king must establish good laws. 
and good laws would look remarkably similar to the Ten Commandments. Specifically, the second table there, the one starting with honor your father and mother and going down to don't covet anything. But he can't just establish those laws. He also has to enforce those good laws. That is, in fact, one of the primary jobs of governments here on earth, whether we're talking about monarchies like back in ancient times or we're talking about diplomacies or even communism or any of those things, the purpose of a government is to establish peace and order and justice in their land. And so if a king doesn't do that, if a government doesn't do that, they are not a good king or government. They certainly aren't a just king or government. But we also recognize that <clears throat> excuse me. We also recognize that sometimes it's not all about the justice. It's not all about being just. Because a good king is also righteous. And what exactly does it mean for a king to be righteous? We're probably used to talking about us as being righteous in that we are in the right position with God, that God has shown his favor upon us. What about a king? Well, God makes it clear over and over again in the Bible that kings, that people in authority, must be impartial. They cannot show favoritism. And that's really hard for a king to do. It's really hard for a government to do. And the reason for that is because it's really hard for any of us to do. We all want to show favoritism to those who are closer to us. We all want to show favoritism to our family and friends. We want to show favoritism to the people who give us things rather than to the people who take things away from us. It's just part of our human nature nowadays. But as a king, as a person in authority, that is not the right thing to do. They must be impartial. They must treat everyone equally. They must apply the law equally to everyone, as well as showing mercy equally to everyone. And that last part there is the other thing about being righteous as a king. Not just to be impartial, but also to be merciful. To recognize that sometimes, rather than using the sword, one must provide help. One must provide assistance to those who need it. This is what it means to be a righteous king. To be impartial, but also merciful. However, our intro today spoke about those two things, about being a good king, being just and righteous, but our introit also speaks about being an effective king. And so, what then, according to our introit, does it mean to be effective? Well, in this case, speaking specifically to the kings of Israel and Judah, it must mean that they are the king of Israel and Judah. And notice that it's Israel and Judah, both the northern and the southern kingdom. Unfortunately, after Solomon, there was no king that was truly good and effective in that sense. 
at least not for quite a long while. But even more than that, we see from our introit that all of the lands are supposed to be sending him tribute and gifts. This is, in another way of saying it, basically that the king needs to be so effective, the armies need to be so effective that rather than trying to conquer the nation, the other nations around them are going to try and bribe them to not conquer them. In other words, they must be a strong king. But when the time comes, and the time does usually come, that conquering is necessary. Or more accurately, because conquering is very rarely appropriate, that when defending yourself against conquering comes, that they are effective in defending their countries. That when the war comes, that they will in fact defend their people, defend their lands, and ensure that anybody who fights them ends up falling down before him and serving him. That's what it means to be an effective king, to be able to effectively defend your people and your lands, whether through preventative measures or through reactive measures. But of course we recognize that that is only necessary because of the world that we live in, because of the fact that we live in this earthly world where sin causes things like war and death. And we recognize that we actually now have a king who has conquered those very things, who has conquered sin and war and death. We recognize that our king, Jesus, is in fact the king of the entire universe. And that even more than that, he's not just the king, he's the God of the entire universe. He's the one who created it, he's the one who maintains it, and he's the one who has redeemed it. And of course, we recognize that if we want an example of a just and righteous king, that we ought look no further than Jesus himself. For Jesus is most certainly just. He established the law for our good. He's the one who wrote the Ten Commandments, which all of the other laws ought to be based off of. He's also the one who punishes those who break those laws. And that includes us. He is the one who disciplines us, who ensures that we try to do good. Thankfully, he has taken away the eternal punishment part of that. But the truth is that we still need to be reminded about the law sometimes. That we still need to be disciplined when we sin. And God does allow that to happen to us. But our Lord isn't just just, though he most certainly is. Our Lord is also righteous. Because like I mentioned just a second ago, he recognizes that we aren't going to do this perfectly. We aren't going to live up to his law. And therefore, when he died on the cross, he took the eternal punishment onto himself. He, in fact, was and is merciful. And he welcomed us into his kingdom, even though by doing so he had to shed his very own blood. Even now, he still provides for us, perhaps unsurprisingly, through his very own blood. 
And this is why all of the kings and all of the nations and all of the world should bow down and serve the King of Kings. Because he saved everyone. He manifested himself as the best king possible, as in fact the king of all nations, not just Judah and Israel. He showed that he cares for all people, all nations, by dying on the cross for all peoples and all nations. When the wise men came to Jesus on that first Epiphany day, they were probably looking for a normal human king. Their gifts seemed to indicate that for the most part. Perhaps they knew that he was going to be a little bit special. Maybe Daniel had left some sort of tradition to be handed down to them. Or maybe they had deduced from the special star that had guided them that things were a little bit different. But they probably weren't expecting anything other than a special human king. They certainly weren't expecting to come face to face with the king who is God, the very being who had in fact created them. But when they do see him, when they do come face to face with the only true God king, they have the right reaction. Not only do they give the gifts that they had prepared, but they fall down and they worship him. They recognize the truth that this king is more than just a king. That he is in fact the righteous and just God of all. Whether they knew any more than that is up for debate. They likely didn't know what Jesus was going to do for them in the future. And at the time that would have been okay, seeing as he hadn't done it yet. But here and now, you all do know what he did for you. Which means that you all also are wise men and women. For wisdom, according to God, is nothing less than simply believing him and his word. And you are all here right now to hear that very word. To hear the word that will make you wise. The word which was given to you by your king. His decree which has declared you righteous and justified in his sight on account of his very own actions on the cross. Therefore, you are free to continue being wise. To continue trusting and believing in the decrees of your king. To continue to hope for the day when your king returns and fulfills his prophecies. To hope for the day when we get to realize the full extent of what it means to be in his kingdom. We have already been given a small glimpse of that here in this place. In your baptisms where you were made citizens of his kingdom and in his supper where you are continually fed and nourished by his very own body and blood. Here, where you get to hear his word, his decrees, and have your faith strengthened and built up to stand the trials and tests of this world that it will throw at you. May God continue to do this for you and more as you continue to live in his kingdom here on this earth and forever into eternity. 
Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.